Hey, what's up, people? This episode of the podcast, episode 44, is brought to you by Beach Volleyball National Events. Big showcase. Got as many as 22 recruiters coming out to see some get noticed players. So if you want your kid to get noticed, come see us. We're in Florida, we're in California, Colorado, and Texas. Beach Volleyball National Events. Come play with us. It's also brought to you by NY Varsity Sports. That's me. That's me, the NYV. Watching me. Watching you. This episode of the podcast, episode 22, uh, 44, I got the great Dane Blanton. And this episode starts right now. What's up, people? Episode 44 of the Option Podcast. You asked and you shall receive because for me, I've got to give the people, I'll give the people what they want. Dane Blanton. What's good, brother? <laughs> I didn't know you had those skills right there. <laughs> I won 100 bucks in a crown intro. my last birthday. Last year, I won 100 bucks in a crown at Tower 12 <laughs> on my birthday. <laughs> Great, yeah, great day. I got Jake and Earl into the qualifier, into the draw. I was coaching them. Um, you know, their first draw, Earl's first draw. And then that night after the qualifier, Thursday competition, uh, karaoke. And I, I won, a, won a crown. I didn't get my name on the wall. There was a wall of fame there. So, I, you know, I'm a little baby because I can't have it all. <laughs> uh, so listen, first of all, let's, 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 um, let's, let's start the easy way. I want to congratulate you. Uh, long overdue congratulations for um, getting the job at USC. And I'm, um, before I get to my question, I just want to convey how proud I am of how it was done. Like there are coaches, you know, whose star power gets them the job. And there are some coaches who have a mixture of star power. And, and Coach Club, uh, you served as Anna Collier's assistant for a few years. So you're the epitome of a true meritocracy that leads to uh, one of the schools that's the hotbed, the hotbed for, for beach volleyball recruiting. So congratulations on that. Thank you, Jason. I really appreciate that. You know, it was uh, a lot of things had to line up. The, one of the, the probably the most coveted jobs, you know, in in the sport because of the reputation that uh, Anna Collier put forth in the in the years and the championships. And so now it's my job to continue to to carry that torch. And I, I'm extremely excited about it. Oh, I can't, I can't even imagine. I'm, and Anna Collier, she, we both know she's not an easy person to play for. <laughs> she's, uh, Anna's old school, right? And so uh, you, you right? got to be ready, you're ready to roll, you know what I mean? She's not messing around and um, everybody's got a different style and I learned a ton from her. Yeah. And I, and I think I think us as coaches, you know, and, and also commentators and we um, and my majors in theater performance, by the way, so my BFA is in acting. We we don't go through. We don't take one style. We take a whole bunch and tailor make our own. And, and, and again, once again, I like what you what you are becoming. You know, I like what you are becoming because we both know that this this chapter hasn't even never mind being being over or, or, or almost written. Not even you, you. I mean, you haven't even begun the toke. <laughs> Right. Brand new, and you know we lost the season this year, unfortunately. Yeah. To and that was my first question. Yep, where were COVID. you? All right, here's an interesting question, Dane, and and I'll okay. interrupt, and then the floor is yours. Where were you when the NCAA or or your or should I say the PAC conference was shut was shutting down the season? Well, you know we just had a duel. I think we played 
Pepperdine and UCLA at our place and we were getting ready the next day we would have gotten on a plane to go to Florida for spring break and to compete against um, FSU yeah yes I think Stetson and Florida State and FIU we we just had a whole week trip planned and we were supposed to leave the next morning and so after playing Pepperdine and UCLA it was that evening when everything kind of spun out of control and Basically, I was packing the night before for the trip because we just didn't really know whether we were going to be able to go or not. Um, fortunately, we got word that we couldn't go. We shut it down, and then every day has kind of turned into where we are now. Like, who would have ever thought in a million years that um, kind of the world would shut down? You know, Hawaii was supposed to go on that trip, but they unfortunately were. I think midway they had already landed in LA and already departed for the East coast when they got the word. And so they landed, I think in Miami had to turn around, <clears throat> excuse me, had to turn around and uh, go all the way back. So, you know, that's when it happened. I want to say that was early, early March. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Mid March. Um, yeah. so many moving parts. I was actually going to go to Hawaii. My wife's birthday is April 4th. And uh -huh. she had this big, you know, just whatever. We're going to go to Turtle Bay like we did last year. Because um, I was with LMU um, with John Mayer in 2018. And, and it was such a fun trip. We went out three days before we had to play, whatever, play yeah. Hawaii and, and Washington. And she's like, dude, we're going back out there. And she's like, we're not flying anywhere. <laughs> I think our wives are very much the same. She's like, I'm, I'm not doing nothing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, who would have ever thought we'd be in this situation? It's it's wild. And um, doesn't it feel like a dream sequence? Doesn't it feel surreal? Uh, I mean, and uh, more yeah, often it, than not, it does, and uh, not in a good way. No. But um, you know, I, you know, everything everything happens for a reason, and uh, hopefully, we we make it through this, and and um, we learn from it. That's what's most important. We learn from some of the mistakes that that have taken place up until this point because way too many uh, people have lost their lives and a lot of people have lost their livelihoods and uh, hopefully, you know, things can be handled a little differently if we ever face something like this again. God, I pray, you know, I pray. Um, I lost my father um, three weeks before um, everything just started shutting down. My father, um, let's just say camel cigarettes caught up to him. <laughs> All right, two packs a day, no no filter. Did, he, uh, did yeah. he get the virus? No, he was suffering from dementia. And let's just say camel cigarettes caught up with him. But yeah, I, I was supposed heart. to go to New York. And, um, and my best friend's mother died same day. So we were going to go to Far Rockaway and do an ash spreading thing. But um, Kelly's like, you don't want to get on that plane. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not getting on that plane. Yeah. Do you, um, did you um, have cabin fever? Yeah, of course, a little bit, you know, it's, it's I know kinda, I know you're a guy that likes to move around like all the time. Yeah, I was just talking on the phone moments ago and to the fact that this is the longest I've been without getting on a plane or traveling anywhere, probably in the last 25, 25 years, 25, 30 years, you know, ever mm -hmm. since finishing college and turning pro, I'm on a plane a lot playing volleyball and now and broadcasting and coaching and all these things. I checked into a hotel last week um, at the AVP event, and it was kind of the first time I've been in that situation. You know, just checking in somewhere. It's it's weird 
to go from something being so normal to something being very rare. So to answer your question, for sure, a little cabin fever. Um, been fortunate to spend some extra time with my son, Cade, who is yeah. two and a half at I, the end of the month. So that big thing is two up. and a half years old. Yeah. That big, know. that big, that, that gargantuan thing is two and a half years old. Yeah. You know, you got you a monster boy. You know, yeah. you got you a little monster. It's going to be uh, something else. So <sighs> it's been cool to have that extra time to spend because mm-hmm. I don't think that would be the case. Right. Um, so it's kind of, I see it as bonus time. And um, fortunate how old he is. I have some friends with older older kids that it's really challenging because with homeschooling and their their awareness is different. But um, you know, at two two and a half, they don't really know too much the difference. He does miss some of his friends that he met yeah. up with at the park. But yeah. uh, minus three, so same thing. Yeah. So yeah, you yeah. you know, and um, so yeah, I look at it as bonus time, and so that's been really a blessing. Yeah. So I have a list of questions that people demanded that I ask you, and I probably wouldn't be doing my job as a decent podcaster if I didn't ask, all right? So um, instead of me doing a climatic buildup to deepness, I'm just going to go deep, all right? In your childhood, when you started playing volleyball, what tournament or what particular match, albeit high school, club, or whatever, did you leave that tournament or particular match and tell yourself, I think I could do this for real? I think I could do this. I think I could play D1. In fact, I think I could do this professionally. Was there a particular defining moment uh, um, or was it just a gradual buildup? Well, you know, that's a great question because um, I don't know if it was a tournament that I was playing in. I think it was going down to the Laguna Open uh, every year in Laguna Beach and spending the night, being able to spend the night at the beach because, you know, back then there was no stadium. It was all about getting there the night before. There would be kind of a big party. Unfortunately, I had older brothers, so I could hang out with them. And, you know, if I didn't, I was a little too young to be in that type of an environment. But down in Laguna and Main Beach, and and you would have, you know, maybe a foot between where the sideline was and where the crowd started and maybe a little banner in between. But uh, the old school was amazing. And then in the morning when some of those guys would walk on the court, like, uh, Mike Dodd and uh, Tim yeah. Hovland and Sinjin Smith and Randy Stoklos and Akatobi and yeah. Frohoff. Dane, I mean, Dane still at that like, time. Uh, like too, right? You know? yeah. They were like gods. And uh, you just looked up to them. And I was thinking, wow, if, if I can play volleyball on the weekends in some of, on some of the best beaches in the world and get paid for it, like, is this a real thing? And and so at that point, I started following it, seeing if you could make a living. You know, you'd look in the back of the volleyball magazine and, and see how much guys were making it. And back then in the 90s, top 15 guys were making six figures. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And, and 16 so stops, making, too. There was just more opportunities, too, right? 16 stops as well, right? No, it was 25 stops at one point. Yeah, That's it, was, a career. it was off the charts. You were playing almost half the year. There was a lot of opportunity. And but, you know, it was a different time and people were in, didn't have all the uh, metrics of measuring how much return and everything is, is so detailed now. And there's a lot more competition. But, you know, I don't want to get into another subject but of where the sport is uh, right now. But to answer your question, at that point, I said, this is a possibility. People said, go to school, get your degree, use the sport 
obviously there's no beach in college for the men at the time and there still isn't for the men of course the women started in 2016 but i played indoor at pepperdine and as soon as i graduated i knew i wanted to try to get out on the abp tour and and uh, start making a living and start playing and try to be the best volleyball player in the world that was that was the dream and uh, i was fortunate that i fulfilled it you know i, I went down there I, of course, you, you know, you, you look back, you could have won some more tournaments here and there, but, I, you know, everything, the way it went with my career has been fantastic. And uh, I've really pushed hard to do well, and um, hopefully you get rewarded for doing that. Yeah. Pepperdine's the cool kids, cool, cool kids school. It is the cool kids school, okay? It's I- different, though. So, you know, every school's so different and mm-hmm. and. For me, Pepperdine worked because I was from a small school and I wanted to go to a small school. Others have the opportunity, you know, they want the the big football program, the big sports, and there's something for everybody out there, but you got to find out what's a good fit, right? I've never met a volleyball player from Pepperdine I did not like. You have Bob (laughs) Bob Stavertlik, cool dude. You know, his son Matthew Matthew went to Harvard. What's that? That's because of Marv Dunphy. Yes, I was gonna. He was gonna be the um, the drum roll. I was gonna say Jeff Stork, uh, Bob Stavertly. I think they ran a six-two there before you got there, and ended up playing in '88 together, right? And '92 as well. Um, I, as a setter, I, I played in Darmstadt in Europe. I was an outside hitter, and on the Olympic coach Mario Trebich from the Netherlands, they won a silver that year, and I think the gold in '96. Um, told me you're six-one. Your wingspan is six-eight. My wingspan's 80 inches. You're a left-handed set. And I watched for two years. All I did was watch videos of Jeff Stork. And then I was like, oh, man, Stavertley's cool. Oh, Sorensen, that guy's cool. And I'm like, wow, John, you know, later on, John Mayer, cool dude, right? Uh, um, Sean Rooney was John Mayer's roommate, right? The cool (laughs) dude, the cool kid's cool. And you know I'm not uh, a cherry pick, and I'm not using a handful of players as a straw man uh, um, uh, argument. (laughs) I could go on and on and on. You're from the cool kid's school. (laughs) What position did you play? At, uh, Pepperdine. I played outside hitter and uh, pass. So my job was to pass and put the ball away in trouble on the outside. And we had some big hammers. Tom Sorensen, as you mentioned, he yep. was on the team. One yep. of the best opposites ever to play in college. Muir, right? Mm-hmm. Had Lee Legrand and Dwayne Cameron and Ian Clark were middle blockers. We had Chip McCaw was the setter. And myself and a guy named Alon Grinberg, who would come over from uh, – Israel, I believe, yeah. and he was a machine. Yeah. And so we won the national championship in yeah. 1990. He was MVP, right? He was tournament MVP, I think, or or, or like all tournament team. There were. It's quite, quite possible. Yeah. You know, I, I don't remember. I did a little did a little homework on you, Dane. There you go. <laughs> got a big old screen over there. I'm like, let me make sure I know what I'm talking about, man. I'm not. I got to be in this California. Get your your stuff together. Um, talk about. That was your sophomore year, right? That was 1992, uh, the the, yes. the NCAA championship. Yeah. Um, talk about the the final moment. Did it feel like you were still playing? I'm, I'm asking this question because there are a lot of elite athletes that work on a technique and a style that's over and it's repetitive and they do it so much it's second nature. It's like brushing their teeth. They're not thinking about it. They're doing it. Yeah. So when you when you guys won... 
did it feel did it take time to, to come in or was there this moment like up to patch match point where you're like dude one more and we're champs was there was there like that emotional documentary worthy moment or did it seem like business as usual until it's until it fell do you understand my question yeah well we weren't really we weren't favored you know and so i've always played well in that underdog situation and when we played Stanford in the final in 92, um, I believe we were so prepared, but we weren't, we weren't cocky or arrogant because you hadn't done anything until you do it. Right. And exactly. Mark Dunphy had us prepared and so ready to go that we, you know, we just, we beat Stanford badly, you know, it was three straight and we, we had scouted and, really done our homework and it's one of those things where you do your homework and everything's really clicking and everybody's firing on all cylinders and so when it happens it's still i mean it's surreal when you win any championship especially when you're sharing it with say 12 other guys and um it only got better from there right like you're a champion for the rest of your life you know an ncaa championship uh, is something that a lot of people don't get no one can take and, it away yeah. yeah and so that's yours for forever and um you know you never never forget it though no nah, no doubt oh god i can imagine um you had aaron uh you were on aaron wexler's podcast uh before and for the people that didn't see his podcast, he asked you, you were talking about something very interesting and I'm jumping ahead again, you know, cause that's how I steer us. I'm jumping the 2000 in the, the finals match when you guys, I believe you lost a point and then the referee arbitrarily gave you guys a red card uh, for taking too long, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And at the risk of sounding repetitive because that's not if you've ever seen my podcast that's not how i roll but at the risk mm -hmm. of sounding like you, you're asked you're being asked the same question five mm -hmm. ways all over again i want you to take uh the people watching through that moment right you it was 11 up uh, or was it um it was a game of 15 or something like that or was um yeah so it was the semifinals. we were playing a team from portugal maya and brenya and uh, really scrappy team. Not a very big team, but extremely scrappy. Yeah, and yeah, it, scrappy. Was, it was 10 all. This is uh, old school scoring, right? You have to serve to score. So it's 10 all. We were probably about, I want to say 65 minutes into the, the, the match at 10 all. So points were not coming easy. And then um, I want to say Eric hit this line shot that just was wide by a couple of inches and that gave them the 11th point. So we called the timeout. We went to the sidelines. We cleaned our glasses off, had a drink like we normally do. Um, the whistle blew. We went to get up off the bench to come onto the court. And that's when what you were just mentioning, the referee reached into his the pocket and pulled out a red card. And he said, uh, delay of game infraction on Team USA and awarded Portugal a point. So we absolutely lost our mind because in a situation like that, the first thing you would get would be a yellow card. A warning. Card. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, and I don't know if the ref was getting pressure from somewhere else to maybe end the game or to influence the game in terms of the time because it was going for so long. Yeah. But it was, 
it was it was out of protocol, which yeah. was so upsetting, right? Clearly like, an abuse of his discretion. Yeah, we know as athletes how far you can push, right? Like how far you could talk to a referee before they're, all right, I'm going to give you the warning, right? Here's the yellow. Okay. And then if you keep pushing, then you know you're going to get a red, right? Yeah. This was an incident where, you know, in hindsight, he said that he warned us. He never officially gave us a yellow card. So there was never an official warning. And then um, to go straight from to red, which meant a point awarded to the other team, made us furious. So now coming out of the timeout, we're not down one, 11 to 10. We're down two, 12 to 10 because of the point that's been awarded. So, I, you know, I remember telling Eric, we got to calm down. We got we to gotta get the serve back. But you know what went through my mind? It was very interesting. I fast forward about 30 years. And I thought, if I'm watching the Olympics in 30 years, 40 years as an old, old man, I'm going to be so bitter if I lose this game because of this referee call. And that, that pissed me off so bad that I was like, not happening. You know what I mean? It's so easy in, in certain situations when you're playing in matches that you can find an excuse, right? Oh, the sun's in our eyes. So we're tired. Oh, we had to play an extra match. Everybody, you know, if you want an excuse, you're going to find it. So yeah. I don't, you know, I don't live like that. And most athletes don't live like that. So I, I just was so furious to think that how bitter I would be if I lost this match. And I thought it was due to this really unjust call. And so it was almost surreal. I got the serve back. I served the ball cross court for an ace to go 11-12. Then I served the ball down the line and hit that perfectly on the outside of the line to tie it up at 12 apiece. Then I served it right down the middle. They went to side out. Eric stuff blocked them. That was 13-12. We switch on increments of five. So we didn't go to the sideline at all. We just rushed to the other side because who knows, right? We might get another delay game if we're not ready. So we, we switch sides and we're on the court ready to go. Um, they shoot a ball over Eric's line. I dig it, put it away, 14-12, then an ace down the middle. So after 65 minutes scoring 10 points, we scored those last five points in probably four and a half minutes, five minutes, three aces, a block, and a dig, and all consecutive points, and the game was over just like that. I I love that story. I um because before you got in the podcast, um Aaron and I talk a lot because you know he coaches West Coast West Coast volleyball, um, and I said let me just watch a little bit of that, and I love that story because to me. Um, as as a, a longtime player myself and as a coach, that's what divides champions from from contenders. Uh, your situation is a situation where I all of us, anyone who plays volleyball, anyone that that plays like a mammal, okay, that drinks water and walks on two legs, will tell you that this man, this referee, abused his discretion. He went straight straight to yellow, as if you said something about his mother, okay? As if you question his straight right to, to red. yeah, as, as if you question his right to exist or something, or maybe right. you said something right. about his mother's nose. I don't know, but um, here's the thing: I'm, the point I was trying to make. If you lost as a result of that, everybody would have understood. You got screwed. You got screwed, right? Uh, or, or, you could do something else, or you could go another route. You can lose as because of something, or you can win in spite of that something. And that 
was what I was getting to. And um, the reason why I brought that up, there's a particular player. Uh, um, you inspire a lot of African-American uh, players, indoor and outdoor. Her name is Rewa, Ch Rewa Chan. She played with Creole. You know, if you remember, Creole had some really cool uh, Haitian teams in the 90s, um, Haitian and some Dominicans, Elvis, whatever. Um, grass, grass game, she's down 13-6. Somehow, someway, comes back, makes it 13 up. The ref, it, this is Connecticut. So Connecticut is pretty incestuous, particularly amongst white people, okay? They um, called a net violation on Rewa, who's a full-time defender. They said she backed up into the net and touched that, and she wasn't even close to it. So that gave them 14. So she calls timeout. And I'm like, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking the same thing, not what you were thinking, but the same thing the people that were watching you play were thinking. Dane's going to get screwed. He's going to lose his match because it is called. So she sits and she has this one-gallon jug. It's this huge thing. Sits on the bucket and is just sipping it like a dude, right? And she ties the game, side out, right? Um, dig, trans kill, the very last play, she hits a ball so hard, it hits her head. And while the other girls are walking away, her partner uh, sees the ball still in play, but, uh, you know, brings it back to her. And Rewa, who sees the two girls walking away, just bumps into the middle of the court and that's game. And she says, give me my <laughs> trophy so I can get the out of here and go back to New York. And I tell that story uh, as a coach. You, you, you want to tell your kids, uh, you want to talk to your kids about competition. You want to talk to your kids about uh, separating yourself from the pack. You want to talk to your kids about where everybody else has an equal skill set. Everyone has this is dynamic. Anyone has athleticism. What separates that one from the other person? Ladies and gentlemen, on that one, I give you Dane Blanton. <laughs> Dane Love that story, and I'm so glad you 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 um you uh, indulged and told that story a second time. Yeah, right. what what you said is exactly right. Like you're going to be faced with obstacles no matter what. That's just a given, right? Everybody who's got a goal, all of a sudden obstacles are going to be thrown at you, get in your way. It's the question is how you respond to those obstacles. So you can either lay down. Everybody could be fine with it, like you yeah. said, and say you they know would have understood got screwed i get it mm -hmm. but you know what getting screwed doesn't get you to the same places that you know winning a gold medal does mm -hmm. and so for us we use that obstacle to fuel ourselves and i always say let your obstacles fuel you you know what i mean because they can take you to another spot because in hindsight you might think all right maybe that call's not made we go back and forth we lose the match, whereas that call is made, it woke up a fire within and a level that we may have not achieved without the call. So the, in, in hindsight, the call could have motivated us to play at a level that we had not ever played at, which it did. I mean, I don't recall. Maybe, point yeah, five he don't messed up. <laughs> Yeah. Yo, he done messed up. Yeah. And so I don't recall scoring five points in a row in the whole Olympic tournament other than at that point when yeah. we needed it most to advance into the gold medal match. And so whenever you're faced with with an obstacle, you've got you've got to have have that obstacle fuel you rather than turn you around or knock you down. Yeah. Because the cold hard truth is that people don't accept very rarely are you remembered in a great performance in a losing effort 
No, not very rarely, no. like never. Yeah. Well, so rare you can remember, right? You have to look for it. Like, yeah. like, see, see, I told you so. I told, but right, if you gotta look for those one things, why, 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 I'm, I gotta try to prove you wrong. No, no, that's that's we just skipping on to the, we moving on to the next thing, right? I'm gonna have to miss you on that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right, Dane. <laughs> Since I'm, I've been trying to catch you by surprise the whole podcast. Um, you are a runner-up or a finalist on The Bachelor, right? Two thousand four. Oh, yeah, that's no, actually, well. I, it depends how you look at it. So let's get the record straight on this one. So I think it was way back in 2001. Maybe that show was a year or two old. Um, and it was the one year they actually showed you some possibilities of who was going to be The Bachelor, right? Usually they just name it and they usually don't show you a montage of like five people. So that year they decided to show the people that they had whittled it down to pick from. And I was one of, I think, three people that they were picking from. I think Andrew Firestone ended up being The Bachelor. But on that first preview show, when they teased it, it was pretty crazy. I think it was six o'clock on the West Coast, nine o'clock on the East Coast when they first started airing it on the East Coast. And so all of a sudden, my phone just started going off the hook because I didn't know they were going to have this kind of preview show to and put people that hadn't been in it, which I hadn't been picked. I already knew at that point, but um, people are like, oh my gosh, are you going to be The Bachelor? And you, like we said, this is 20 years ago when the show was brand new. Yeah. And uh, so nowadays, the situation I was in, you would never have gotten any airtime. So it wasn't like I was one of 25. I was going to be the one person and i think yeah i was probably their second choice and um it was fascinating a few years later they came back and they said hey do you want to do the show again you know well, i never did the show i just did that one little montage yeah um do you want to do the show and be the bachelor and so i was exploring that that was a few years later maybe oh four and um i think it was a stretch for them you know at the time they they had never had a, a black bachelor. And um, so they were going to try to make it happen. And so I was, I was still interested. I said, sure, you know, because originally how I got involved, they came to the AVP, they were looking for athletes and young guys, single guys that were out on the-, the And they're like, this dude's a smoke show. <laughs> so, so a bunch of us went to the interview, you know what I mean? And then I got a, a second call back and a second, third interview and a fourth interview. And I was like, wow, would I, would I really do this if I were chosen? And to this day, I don't know which way it would have gone, you know, because that throws you on a different tra trajectory. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and that's, an image that's going to stick with you forever as, as well. So who knows, who knows, which, who knows which way I would have gone, but um, I think if I'm not wrong, they finally have selected. Yeah. His name is um, Matt James. He's a former wide receiver at a wake, wake forest. And that's um, happening right now, right? Yeah. He's the first yeah. African American. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I read that. And uh, so, good you know i to to think we're 15 years after yeah. they said that it was going to happen is is a long time but you know what if it's happening good for them and uh, hopefully he has a great time on the show I, I you know i haven't watched the show in, in probably 15 years myself 
but I know it's still out there and still a powerful property. And that's great that uh, it'll be more well rep- represented and is becoming a little more diverse. And, yeah. you know, listen, there's a lot of people that don't watch the show that would have watched it if you were on it. Okay. Like <laughs> our, our, our contemporaries, our peers, right? Do, do you watch, um, you know, ask Ryan Darty, do you watch The Bachelor? No, <laughs> get that crap out of here. You know, ask Theo Burner. Nope. Phil, Phil would just be like, you yeah. know, and they could be like, no, seriously, no. Okay. Right. right. Um, who else? Um, climbing, <laughs> you know, so no, but, but all of the people that didn't watch it and have never watched it and not interested, I would say you get a hundred percent turnout if they found out you were on it. So I, th- I thought well, it just been- all those people that you named mm-hmm. 18 years, 15 years ago, they would have been watching it because yeah. that was the start of reality TV. Ah, yeah. You know what I mean? Everyone would have watched it. It's just, you know, like I said, I haven't watched the show in 15 years. I've never, I've never seen TV take such a plunge and do so well at the same time. Like it got real and at the same time got lazy. You know, some people are like, oh, I never watch TV. I don't watch TV. Me, go kick rocks, okay? I'll go so far as to say I love TV, okay? The Wire, Band of Brothers. I love me some miniseries. Uh, Um... Uh, I can go on and on and on. Madam Secretary, Walking Dead. We love TV. TV's gotten good, but it's gotten, uh, at that time, I thought it's gotten lazy. It was real and interesting. And then there, there was this oversaturation, right? Then there's Jersey Shore. Then there was there was this and that. And I'm like, oh, God save me, you know? And because, yeah, it's, and now we're getting back to some amazing, more traditional TV in a sense that like, really great produced stuff and now you're seeing feature you know people that would only do feature films 10 years ago are on netflix are on amazon prime and there's the programming that is getting the the outlets there's so many outlets though if you sift through it there's some amazing shows out there right there's just and just not enough hours in a day (laughs) you can't even keep up with it no there's not enough hours in a day you know you're like tell yourself you're like dane I'm, I'm just going to do four programs a week, okay? And when I'm in season, that really means one, okay? <laughs> right? Oh, man. Let me, um, <laughs> I told you I'd tear us both off the cliff. Uh, let me, let me, let me drive us back up, back up Mulholland Falls and talk about volleyball and your career, different coaching style. You're a different coaching style. I'm going to, um, give you a situation. You're going to tell me if you agree and, and or, or what level you agree. I think the thing that makes this generation of volleyball players, the generation of girls you have now, juniors and seniors, and these girls bringing up the rear, I think their biggest strength is if they understand the why, they're more productive. Like when I grew up playing, and possibly you, we're almost the same age. I'm 50 this Sunday, in fact. Um, yeah, drank the Kool-Aid. But um, like if I ask my coach why, he's my coach is like, why <laughs> why ain't in your vocabulary mother <laughs> you know so why why get over there you know but um i think this generation is uh, uh uh well first of all the science and and physical physical preparation is off the page right they're just they're just in better shape and they eat healthier well you've always uh pretty whatever so i, I don't put you in that category so i think their biggest strength is if they understand the why they're more productive and i think their biggest weakness is if they understand the why, they're more productive because sometimes you ain't got time for the why. How much do you agree with that as far as uh, the first part of, of, of my um, diatribe? I think it's everything. I think maybe 
now understanding the why is become such a thing. Um, I think Simon Sinek wrote a book about it and um, it's called Start With Why. Yep. And so when you know what your why is, you're much more effective, right? When the times get tough, when you're in the, the trenches, you realize, all right, I know why I'm here and this is why I'm fighting. I think that's always existed. I think it just hasn't been that topic. You know what I mean? I think Sinjin and Randy knew exactly why they were playing, right? Yeah. They wanted to win championships. They wanted to be the best at what they were doing. And you could go down the list, uh, but you just didn't talk about it. Like now you talk about it more. So of course it's a different day and age, but if you know your purpose and why you're out there, I think that's why all great accomplishments have happened is the understanding of, I know what I'm doing and, and why I'm here. And it's very clear. You know what I mean? Like yeah. coaching right now is it's, it's very clear. You want to help athletes get to the next level. You want to help athletes get their degree and go on to represent. And you want to, um, develop them and win championships. You know, yeah. those it's, it's pretty simple when it comes down to it. You're not win at all costs. You, you want the individual to be succeeding. Yeah. If I were playing volleyball still at a competitive level, my, I wanted to be ranked. I want to be the number one player in the world. I wanted to play the best match I could every time I got out there. It was almost like art in terms of it's like a dance you're playing with the opposition and I think the closest that we got to a perfect match would have been Eric and I when we played Rob Hyger and Kevin Wong in the quarterfinals of the Olympic Games. Oh, a little USA on USA crime, huh? Yeah, and <laughs> I want to say we beat them 15 to 2. And to win the quarterfinals of the Olympics at that type of a margin is um, – just a testament to, I was working with my coach at the time, Greg Vernovich, and uh, who I played with at Pepperdine. And we were one, I think the two points were blocked by Rob Hyder. Aside from that, there was no errors made. And um, you just, you know why you're striving to, to put the best performance you can to represent your country, to, you know, there's so many reasons why I think that back then we didn't verbalize them as much as we do now. Right. Definitely. Yeah. I, me, I was making reference to more acute things like the why, as far as wanting the play and how much they want it to me. Um, forgive me. I was operating, operating under the presumption that that was already omnipresent. That was already all, all present, all knowing. I was just making a reference to particular plays like... Um, Maybe someone's facing the net on defense instead of facing the hitter, and they don't have a full understanding. Oh, why, like that, a, yeah. yeah, why that's yeah. productive and stuff. The, stuff the, like the that. But listen, your your answer was actually better than the question. I'm I'm not I'm not here. To, look, I'm not here to <laughs> shower you. I went a lot broader. Yeah. Than, uh, yeah. Than, but yeah, I know what you're saying. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. And as a coach, you learn that you need to justify everything you're doing yeah. in this day and age, or sometimes you, you end up losing people if you, if you're not yeah. explaining why, and it's to your benefit as well, right? Like if an athlete wants to know why something's done, even if it's redundant and they, they ask you why on everything, they're going to be more apt to buy in when they understand that why rather than yeah. don't worry about it. 
you'll see it'll work for you. You know, you don't tell them everything, but there has to be a give and take with, with coaches and, with, and players. With blind and trust and, and understanding the why, right? Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. so you want to communicate that. And I think it's in everybody's best interest at the end of the day that you know why you're making a specific move. Why when you drop off the net, you don't open up to the line, you open up your shoulders into the court. So if that ball catches you strange, it's going within your shoulder line and not out of bounds. I mean, I see pros dropping off the net nowadays to this day and their shoulders are facing the, the <laughs> it's like a hot mess yeah and not and it's fascinating to me but it's training you know it's training and the worst thing is when i see one of my players do something that i think is very um it's just kind of academic and, and just uh elementary and it's not done correctly it's like you almost cringe and you're like Oh man, like because like, e, that was nice, right? Those moves represent your your training, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, yeah, it's like oh, I, that you know that was nice, but what I would like to see maybe this would work better. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's more the thing like didn't we already go over that thirty times? Like why did you decide to do it a oh, different way? God, maybe yeah. that's us understanding the why on that one <laughs> instead of the yeah. players. And a very important, <laughs> a great question. You know, you have to you have to convey to your players why they are doing something, and you're going to get way more buy-in. Yeah. For me, um, again, I told, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm a, I was a theater major in college. I was in a BFA program at Marymount Manhattan, which at the time was ranked number two in the nation. So I auditioned, I got in, what the hell. So there are two ways, and I'm, I'm bringing it back, trust me on this one. Um, there were two ways, uh, styles of, of teaching at the school. One was Sanford Meisner, like if you got up and moved across the room, you needed a reason to. Right. And that's a style. You, it's goal, obstacle, tactics, expectation. They call it GOAT, which you, as volleyball players, we can we can easily take that and apply that. And then there's another style, Michael Chekhov. Get up, move across the room, come back. You know, what? do it again. Come back. Do you understand why? A little bit. Do it again. Come back. So to me, I, I think as far as styles of coaching there, there is one where the person knows why they need a reason to, to go there and they, they know the reason, right? And then there's something in practice where they just explore and, and it happens more organically. And, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road as far as taking diff different techniques and tailor making your own where, where it's best, uh, the best way to communicate to the students. And that's, to me, I'm only speaking for myself. I, I, that's where I think I've enjoyed a level, a, some level of success uh, in coaching and just balancing out the two. Um, you and Anne, your courier, your styles are, I don't know. I mean, the naked eye says they're completely different. How wrong am I and how right am I on that? Set, set me straight if I'm wrong. I'm good. Myself and who? Anna. Oh, Anna. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're different. Uh, I think deep down where there's a lot of similarities, but I think on the surface, we, we might be, you know, a little different. <laughs> you know, I'll leave that up to you to compare and contrast. But uh, at, at the <laughs> core in terms of the drive and the, the fire and, wanting to compete at the highest level and get the most out of your players. There's a lot of similarities there as well, but uh, I think externally, yeah, there probably would be a lot of differences that you could, you could uh, focus on. No, no doubt. Um, so sticking with USC for a little bit, you got, um, is Tina still going to the Olympics? Gardena? 
Tina is. She's um, she's training and doing her thing right now. And uh, we, let's keep our fingers crossed that there is an Olympics, right? Yeah. Because who knows what's what's going to happen? But wow, what a what a special athlete she is! And to have only played two years of collegiate ball was the national player of the year sophomore year. She's got two years left of eligibility and. Yeah. Wow, she's doing some incredible things, playing on the world tour and competing with some of the best yeah. in the world. Won so, that bid tournament, man. I was so happy for her. Um, so cool. Her and godfather, her godfather, Aldous Lucis, is one of my mentors. He um, he oh, was wow. a wrestler at US, US, UCLA in 1979. Mm-hmm. And um, he always hung out with Karch and Sinjin. He's like, he always called himself the fourth string setter because you're, you're in a 6'2", and if your setters are Sinjin and Karch, you're, you're just not going to play. <laughs> So, but, um, he's, um, he's Latvian and he's, you know, and, and I think it's amazing how like volleyball, like the six degrees of separation, how everything comes back to like how everybody knows each other. But when I saw her win, you know, and, and the level of concentration, I mean, I was the second happiest person in the world for her. You being first, I can't, can't, look, I can't compete. You spend too much time with her, you know? Um, was there an attempt to fix her steps or was this there, there, um, she's a goofy foot right she's a she has a lefty approach and hits with her right but was it or was it something where you're like you know what she she her elevation's there you know lion king's a goofy foot dollhouse's a goofy foot um leave it thoughts karch is goofy yeah karch is both i've seen him in the 84 olympics i'm like did he just jump lefty and then the next play no 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 he jumped traditional and then i saw it again i'm like he did it again and now i'm rewinding a a vcr mind you no i mean uh and (laughs) Like you're confusing me, Karch. Uh, but was there um, was it was it something where you where you were like she was so far in as far as well, her development tried, as a player? You just left it. And she understood that. She understood the mechanics of it because the thing is you can't dispute it, right? Some of the best players have used a goofy foot style, right? Yeah. Just we, like we said, Phil. we just named three. <laughs> yeah. And so there's that's the thing with volleyball, and when I teach and and deal with with anyone who's learning the game, you always say to yourself like, okay, let's merge what we think is the right way with the way you're doing it. Because the way you're doing it is not necessarily the wrong way, but from like a biomechanical standpoint, goofy foot, you're fighting, your hips are fighting the direction that you're trying to generate power from. Yeah. It's just from a scientific efficiency standpoint. Right. Is it right or is it wrong? That's something you could argue all day. Um, so we tried, Tina and I tried to work on uh, her footwork, but um, she she's done both. Like you said with Karch, I've seen her do both. And, and she'll do it the, um, let's say, the non-goofy way, uh, you know, non-goofy foot way. I don't want to say the correct way right. because, like I said, I'm open-minded. Just traditional. That's what I call it. And, yeah, and she <laughs> will uh, – She'll always look over and say, look, I did it. You know, I, I did it. And she's she's trying to at times. But, um, you know, I'm excited to to get to work with her again uh, as soon as she, she gets um, back on campus. And hopefully when we get back to some sort of normalcy, uh, considering the circumstances that we're in right now. Yeah. So let's talk about some of the people that you coached who were in the AVP tournament this weekend. Um, let's start with Sarah Hughes. Um I have uh, another podcast called Sports Debate Tuesday. 
we talk about MMA, football, but, you know, um, volleyball is our wheelhouse, Rob McLean and myself. And that's the first thing we talked about. And the question was, what surprised me the most about the tournament and what wasn't a surprise at all? And then, you know, like Stephen A. Smith and, and Max Kellerman, you know, Rob does his thing. And, you know, I got the gift of gab. I can go on for days. And I did my thing. But the one, the I want to highlight the one thing that did surprise me. Uh, what surprised me was Sarah Hughes and Wilkerson making the finals. Because this is a team I've been watching almost like a half a half a year. And if you look at the tail of the tape, as far as ability, this one, you know, Wilkerson touches the ground and then touches the clouds. Okay, that's how she blocks. Sarah Hughes, you know, highly tired of like the next Misty May by, by many. A lot of pressure, but she doesn't care about pressure. She loves to play. And I couldn't figure out for the life of me why they were le- losing some of these matches. In the, in the recent past. It left me scratching my head. And then all of a sudden, click, boom. We're bossing it all the way to the finals. Um, I think they were up by four first set, man. I mean, if they were going to win, they had to win that first set. But that's that's something I maybe you can answer as, as I continue to yap. Um, my biggest surprise was Sarah Hughes and Wilkerson. Um, how, how surprised were you that they made it all the way to the finals? Well, that was my finals prediction. Exactly. I thought that uh, that they would make it. I mean, they finished third, I believe, twice last year when they competed together. So it wasn't yeah. a surprise in terms of the talent level. I thought they'd be playing against Alex in April, which they were. Um, the big question is, are were they ready to step to that next level? And yeah. they did everything correctly. We're in position to win the first set. I think it was 19-15. And there was a four contacts call that was made. Yeah, the ref said it wasn't a joust. Right? Yeah, the ref, was, the ref said it, non-joust. It looked like a joust on the replay. It was very close. So I believe Suzanne Lowry, the head referee, was up there, a really spectacular ref. And she saw something and made a definitive call very quickly. And it should have just been an inconsequential situation. It turned out, and I always tell tell players when I'm coaching, you don't know when the one play that's going to happen that's going to win you that match or turn the tables or send you on a five-point run. Yeah, That happened to be the play that spun them out. I think Brandy went out and hit a ball out yeah. down the left side, then I- the right side hit a ball out, and all of a sudden you're – you're looking in, it was 1915 yeah. and all of a sudden it's tied up at 20 Right, and they lose that. 24, 22. Yep. It's deflating at that point. So they're going to be, I mean, I expect them to make a lot of noise and I, I expect them to win one of these tournaments, whether they win the whole champions cup. Um, that's more of an average of the three. Uh, we know our big three, right? I mean, right in the mix there, yeah. but love that team. So athletic yeah. Wilkerson and, such a hard work ethic for Sarah Hughes. And, uh, but you're dealing with six, five Kleinman who's getting better every time she steps on the court. Yeah, and man. Ross for sure is, she's got to be the hardest working player on tour. April Ross. You if could you watch her. She just, she never takes a playoff. No, and, she's a savage dude. She'll yeah, take your lunch crazy. money if you yeah. let her. Yeah. Exactly. Very. You almost changed my mind on on which play I thought turned it around. You thought it was the um, controversial. Um, sorry, the non-joust call, the four contacts. Four call, four For call, me, yeah. I thought when she, when Wilkerson ran the back set, the wrist away line and went wide. 
I thought that's when the momentum shifted a little bit because that's something she does all the time, normal. She read the entire court. Oh, 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 and if, that was right after, right? Yeah, the one play after that. And so so you're yeah. right. So those plays happen consecutively. You yeah, but so you almost I changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. That's weird. I think that she hits that ball out, maybe she's lost a little focus because of the because call. of the previous play. Right. Right. So I mean you could point to either one, but yeah. I think the root of it and I, you know, I don't think it was a, a play where they got really animated and yelling. You know, it was yeah. just like they thought that it was just looked like they were kind of almost kind of befuddled, like what a four contacts, what? Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're getting served again. I can't slide out again. I can't slide out, and all of a sudden we have a game. Yeah. Do you call timeout on that play after the four contacts? I know a lot of European well, coach, a lot, a lot of European teams, like the yeah. Czech team. I think a lot of the European teams would would have. You know, yeah. I think Ludwig would have. Um... I mean, you're still in control. I don't know what the score was at that time, 1916? It was 2016 no, and then the, the 17 and then the double, the no, the non-call made it 18. You're I'll... saying the, the joust, no yeah. joust was yeah. 18? Yeah, because they, they were up 2016 and I think the... Oh, the... I, think that, I think that no call happened right around 1916, 1915. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah, that's okay. when it happened and then, then that started the whole deal. I'd have to go back and look at the, the deal, but I think it yeah. happened right around 15, 1915, 1916. Cool. And then the rest kind of was a snowball. I mean, we've all been in that situation before and Brandy's a great player and I bet she just wish she had that moment back because yeah. it was academic, right? Her back set over, it's there, just put it in the corner. Dane, there wasn't anyone within eight feet of it. It was yeah. just either in or out. There wasn't anyone, the block wasn't closed. The dig, I mean, I mean let me tell you something, April, we, we, all, we all respect April, but she was she was in no man's land. I'm not saying she a man, or nothing, but she's in no man's land, you yeah. know, and she missed and it was either in or out. So, so um, here's what didn't surprise me, and this is this is something I, I'm bringing up because I want us to discuss it. Uh, Phil and Nick versus Taylor and Jake. Mm -hmm. It didn't surprise me because when I watched them train, because I've been watching them train, you know, endless summer. You know, we we cut our practices in small groups because of COVID you know, to do so safely. And on my way back, I'm watching Trevor and try, I'm watching these guys, I'm watching the McKibbins and I'm watching these these players. And I can watch a match a, a year and a half from now, two years ago, and watch the match today and mm -hmm. physically witness these guys do the exact same things to each other. And I'm not trying to crap on their coaches, all right? Um, but this is the Option Podcast, and I can't lie. I, you know, the only thing reason I even have some fans is because I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna be someone, BS someone for the the sake of political correctness, all right? Um, well, what the hell's going on with coaches that if you know tries likes to cut back or Phil likes to do a crossbody on the Option? Why, why don't we see some of these adjustments that don't look like? Uh, um, um, the exact same play rerun five times. Um, the floor no, is yours. Like the floor is yours. You can you can correct me. Tell me I'm wrong, or you can tell me why. So why aren't people taking the strengths and like you? You're saying you're to combat the them. I guess my question is: Is it about clientele? Is it about you know the ability to stop it? Right? Like we know Phil's going to do this, but do we have someone that can stop it? I mean, at this level, the answer is yes. I, I it's, it is my opinion. The answer is yes. So why aren't why aren't they 
uh, I, why aren't we seeing some of these? And I'm, I'm only citing the men because the women are just the women are balling. Chrissy Jones, we got to talk about at some point in the distant future too. But why aren't these guys taking some of the some of these favorite plays? I'll say it like a layman, uh, doing anything to take away some of these favorite plays away. Floor is yours, my man. I think um, I think maybe there's a deception because, like, Phil is a guy, he can do the same thing 20 times. If you take that away, he'll, he'll adjust to it. Right. And I think the range is so large. And, yeah. and it, I guess it's easier said than done when you're like, why don't they take that? That's one of his favorite shots. It is easier. Yep. Yeah, like. Oh, well, he has this favorite shot too. Mm -hmm. He has this favorite shot as well. And I think that's the case because these players are watching a lot of tape. They're trying to make adjustments. They're trying to take away strengths. And um, I guess maybe sometimes it just comes across that how are these people doing the same thing? You know what I mean? Whether it's uh, someone's got a a tendency to go high line. It's hard, you know. It's yeah. a game of cat and mouse. It's a deception. So yeah, and I'm not using that one match as a straw man argument. You know, I I, I mean, I think it's safe to say we both watch a lot of this. You, I mean, you, I mean, twenty four seven. You, you're commentating on it, and and you're coaching it. So it's safe to say you watch a match or two. So that's why I wanted to give you the floor on that. And I, I guess basically yeah. what you're saying, things are not what they seem. Is that what you're They're saying, not, you're saying right mean, now? Like Phil is so good, and Nick are so good yeah. that. Didn't he look strong too? Didn't he look like refreshed and like yeah, energized? They looked, they looked scary because they had time off and Phil loves to have time off because the best time to catch Phil is after playing for seven months and you know what I mean? And he's just kind of burnt out. And, <laughs> yeah, see you in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, when he's rejuvenated, oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, you could argue that some of the best volleyball they're playing look like they're playing some of the best volleyball that they've, they've played. And I think it's the first time, and correct me if I'm wrong, that 240-somethings have won a championship ever in the history of the sport. I can't even remember. Right? Nope. In, the, yeah. in the at least modern-day history, right? I no. know. It's pretty cool, right? Two guys that are 40. Yeah. And I, ju- I just – and for me, I just say God bless the science and God bless, God bless people understanding the science. God, right. You know um, – I really, really like, and you're, you're you're a shining example of that, right? You're, I think, in age, you're 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 probably 48 right now, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't look 48, you know. You don't look 48. You look like you could be on the Bachelor next year, right? I'm 50. I don't look like I'm 50. I look like an unattractive 35 year old, you know. So I mean, it's it's one of those things where we understand it. Um, Dane, I used to weigh 260. I, I was married my, when my wife and I split. This is the year 2000. I, I started eating, instead of eating five times a day, I, I, uh, I started eating five or six times a day, smaller portions. And instead of using supplements or medications, I, I'm, which I, I'm big against, I started using foods. Like if I want a fat burner, avocado's there for me, man. Dark chocolate's there for me, uh, um, uh, uh, cashews. If I want my testosterone boosted, Brazil nuts are there for me. You know, you want your iron. Uh, cold spinach is there for you. Red meat, depending on what your pleasure is. All of these things are there for you. So my boss, I worked in cardiology, uh, cardiology practice for 17 years. He wrote a book called Doctor, What Should I Eat? And, and I took a year and I lost 60 pounds. I lost 60 pounds cumulatively. So that was in 2002. So What are you right now? Um, well, I'm, on, I'm doing the quarantine 15. So right now I'm 212. But my comfortable playing weight is 200 to 205. 
because I'm wide-shouldered and I'm big bone. You know, even in boot camp, I graduated boot camp 199. I couldn't, you know, they say it's your height at 6'1", you're supposed to be 195. But if I can't get out of basic training, you know, in airborne school, a one uh, lower than 199, <laughs> that's just how I'm shaped, right? We know guys from Isla Samoa, right? Come on, those guys are in shape, but ain't ain't no way that guy who's 5'10 is going to be under 200 pounds. So it's really just about, uh, it's about clientele, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Awesome. I didn't know you, you trimmed down that much. That's awesome. Congrats. Yeah. Just changed my life, dude. And then I got oh. then I got back into volleyball. And everybody yeah. was like, who is this guy? And I let my hair grow long. I, was, I always had a low and even like you. So everybody's like, it looks like Jason. He swings his left arm. Lefties swing their, their left arm and their right, right stays the same. So every, every, whenever you look at a lefty, they're not swinging both arms back and forth. They only swing their, their, their swinging arms. So they're like, that looks like Jason. <laughs> all right man listen i think i got i got you long enough man i'm out of here and you i think we both know i can keep you here forever all right but the one thing i wanted to say before i let you go i wanted to commend you on um um understanding your sport as a coach understanding studies you know studies that help the sport but the most important thing and I'm, i think i'm going to speak for you and stop me at any point realizing that at some point the scientists and the, the people that are doing the studies the scientists are us <laughs> right there are studies that show the science and the mechanics but at the end of the day we're the ones in practice we're the ones that are doing drills to see if see this see if this works understands the why repeat it do it whatever so i think i think a lot of times we refer we refer to studies but at the same time we 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 know that we you know the science itself is us <laughs> the scientist you know uh, you're throwing uh, throwing stuff against the wall see if it sticks <laughs> right but uh, yeah, I really appreciate you having me on, and uh, like you said, we can talk forever. And there's so much history of the sport, and I'm just, you know, I'm so happy that the to 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 not only be working with with Amazon and NBC and doing the production side of things, but the fact that Donald's son was able to salvage the season, big albeit, up, huh? Albeit three events, but. <sighs> It's amazing what he's provided, and uh, I think the AVP will be back with a vengeance in a year. Um, but the players were so appreciative. The the staff was said that logistically it's the hardest thing to run, even though there's no fans there. Yeah, because um, Amazon Prime, you, you you the production yeah. team, right? Yeah, yeah, and so everybody's being tested every week, and it's a safe environment for the players, which is important. But it's so cool to have some live sports and have volleyball right now when uh, all these sports fans are, are kind of thirsty for it. So, David. Uh, you know, for me, I've just been real thankful, Jason, to not only be a player at the collegiate level, the professional level, and um, get into broadcasting and coaching, and to be able to really have had a real fun and fulfilling time uh, with the sport in so many different aspects. That's what I think is a blessing, and uh, so I'm trying to – to pay that forward and, and help people succeed uh, that are coming up. And it's a blast to work with young people. But I like that your goal is to keep it about the work and the result is mm -hmm. that that uh, you're, you're bearing the fruits of your labor. People look up to you. I have a friend, you know him, Patrick Dietz. 
Mm -hmm. He, um, for, out of New York, um, uh, hell of a commentator. If you ever listen to the city, uh, city university championships, that guy is so good. He generated more people for the CUNYs in New York than the NPSF did. Okay. So that's, wow. that's crazy. Um, yeah, and if you ever listen to this, this guy's analytical he, for indoor volleyball, he is Kevin Barnett on point. Kevin Barnett's mm -hmm. my favorite indoor commentator outdoor. Not so much. Um, but, um, he has three people he looks up to. And before we go. Um, Eric Anderson, assistant coach, you know, rules committee for indoor volleyball and assistant coach for the U.S. Uh, junior, junior team in high performance. Um, there's Carl France, who was a coach at um, Mount St. Vincent for a long time. He's now the assistant at NYU. He's Jose's assistant um, and also at Rutgers. And there's you. There's 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 three guys that just conduct themselves and the way they and and, and the level of uh, success that you guys have enjoyed is just something is truly something to look up to. I ain't your daddy or nothing, but oh, but I but I, but I, I, that's the piece of advice I give you, man. Just just you being you, um, not mixing the goal with the expectations that that, that kind of takes care of itself, man. You you know vert you know your passion is your virtue. <laughs> Right. Some people are driven by passion. Some people are driven by virtue. Some people, they their passion is being virtuous. And I salute you. All right. I appreciate it, Jason. Yeah. And thanks for having me uh, on. Yeah. No more compliments for you, man. That's enough. <laughs> <laughs> My girl's going to get jealous. She's going to be like, yo, let me talk to you for a second. Come back. We'll see you out there soon. Hopefully when we can get back on the beaches. Yep. All right, so listen, hey, everybody, we had enough of you, okay? For all of you people on your iPads looking at this, for all of you people at Starbucks on your iPhones waiting for your food, for all of you people on your desktop who rules the world, old school, old school. For Dane Blanton, Olympic gold medalist and current head coach at USC, I am Jason DeBeas, and we both say, we're out. <laughs> Come check out the Option Podcast on OptionVB.com. It's also available on iTunes and Spotify and on YouTube under the NY Varsity Sports Handle. You're going to love what you hear.